part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. We've dropped in on part two of our coverage of season five, episodes four through six of The Crown on Netflix. Find part one in the previous episode. I, I didn't want to hear about Queen Elizabeth. I didn't want to hear about Princess Margaret. No, I wanted to hear somebody talk about Hoagie Carmichael for 20 minutes. Give me a break. Well, nobody's going to be talking about Hoagie Carmichael for 20 minutes. At all. At all. Nobody should talk about it at all. Oh, you watch me. All right. Wait a minute. <laughs> We're covering the most recent season of The Crown. Make sure that you've watched it before you listen. You've been warned. to spin the wheel yeah let's keep going okay Bob, by that lettering small what does it say it says charles and ann versus charles versus philip and so uh this is a con- this is a topic but i have to be honest i'm not sure where this topic is trying to point us matt why don't you take us through where this topic is going sure well one of the things that i'm uh talking about is the fact that Anne comes away from this episode actually respecting Charles more from what I gather whereas Philip uh, has never been more done with Charles uh, at least that's the way that I got out of those scenes so anything pertaining to those scenes that point one way or the other for me it's the fact that you know Anne uh, appreciates the fact that Charles is actually in love, probably the only person in the family outside of maybe mom and dad that uh, that do uh, genuinely love each other. Everybody else is just having all kinds of troubles. She knows she's had her own kind of troubles. I mean, she's got this thing with Tim going, but uh, and, and maybe she's looking for some kind of, uh, I don't know, confirmation for herself even. But I love when she comes back, you know, they've sent Anne to report on Charles before and she's come back to the family and done her little reports before. And this time around, she's like, whether you like it or not, this is Charles, this is who he's going to be. And he's not weak. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily an endorsement of him, but it's a recognition of him that I don't think we've seen anybody else in this family have Philip on the other hand, uh, you know, makes sure that uh, Charles <laughs> who interestingly in just the very first part of the episode is making a speech about preserving english yet when philip asks him to to say the uh the national uh the whatever the slogan for his division uh he goes to the welsh because we we loved charles learning welsh that was a fantastic episode uh but then totally you know berates him for that and and basically just says why are you still here you know, you've done nothing but destroy this. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get us away ahead, not forward, which Elizabeth, by the way, says uh, at the dinner. She says a way forward. I love that look of Philip. Just he, <laughs> he stops and he looks at her and then he just goes back to sip in his soup because now the queen said it. So what are you going to do? But I any, I'm getting off the point. Philip is uh, 
just totally dumb with Charles. Uh, so it's amazing how Charles can create such divisions on the family, depending on, uh, and Anne's not even really happy with him, but she can at least respect him, I think. Am, am I getting this wrong, Susan? Uh, no, but I was wondering, are you alluding to a Stannis Baratheon moment there? Uh, a fewer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually, I, I just thought it was funny that uh, because I think he was, I think Philip was using a nautical term, right? The way ahead. Um, or maybe people in English actually use the way forward. But what I loved was how uh, when the queen said it, it didn't matter that much anymore. <laughs> when she said forward, it's okay. Uh, yeah. when anybody yeah. else says it it's ahead that's what i love about it <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean i really enjoyed when they had that uh, meeting where they were discussing you know some of the reforms that they could uh, possibly do and uh the way that uh, charles was standing up for much more progressive ideas uh that uh you know it, it seemed to it, it makes sense you know, the fact that uh, he was standing up for, uh, you know, it wouldn't necessarily have to be male primogenitor anymore, that the uh, oldest uh, child, whether they were male or female, could be the next in line to inherit. I mean, they have gone ahead and done that now. So, but uh, it sounded like uh, people thought maybe that was a little bit radical back then, with uh, along with some of the things, because that was one of his complaints to Camilla when they were having uh, another conversation was uh, on the suggestions that they were making from this group were so uh, tepid that uh, it, you know, really wasn't much of anything. Well, what I was going to say, and this isn't on the topic, but I just, I want to be consistent to everybody who's been following along with our podcast is on the previous podcast, when Diana was writing the book, in reaching out to the reporter, I should say, to help write the book. The whole time I was thinking, no, don't do it. Oh, don't do it. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. For complete honesty, I had the same thought when Charles said, oh, let's do this interview. And I was like, oh, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. Are you crazy? Don't do that. I, before and during the interview, I kept thinking to myself, actions are louder than words. Really just keep doing your actions through the prince's trust and that will be more powerful and quote unquote get you out of this PR nightmare than an interview would. And if I remember correctly, and apologies if I don't, I'm not sure this interview response, at least in the United States, went 50-50 in positive or negative. I don't know if you guys have any memory of that or not, but I honestly it was don't. my own thought. Uh but the I, fact that it I was on either. ITV instead of BBC tells me something. Yeah, I don't remember it at all. The War of the Waleses. How did I was able to read that when I couldn't read two word ones before? I don't understand. Anyway, uh, my glasses must have kicked in. Uh, actually, all I want to talk about here is uh, specifically Diana's reaction, both to the separation and uh, then, you know, uh, what everybody calls the revenge dress. Now, as I understand it, Susan, these both actually happened the, the same night that it was aired was when she was attending this event. Do I have that wrong? Because how could it be a revenge dress if she hasn't seen it yet? Or was it just a revenge dress because of what she read in the papers? I guess I got the impression that it was due to what she had read in the papers. Okay, okay. Well, that makes more sense. Uh, because uh, I know that her attending this event actually happened on the same night that that uh, docu 
documentary aired or the interview aired uh, mm-hmm. on ITV. So um, that's that's why I always wondered how how could this be a revenge for that? But it's not. It's just a revenge for the article. OK, that makes more sense to me. How did you feel about Diana? And his, I felt really bad for Diana. Um, again, Elizabeth DeBecky is doing a really good job of playing someone who's um, just kind of lost in this monarchy world right now. Yeah, she is. I think uh, I agree. I think the actress is is doing a great job. Yeah, I mean, you can't help but feel terrible for her. You know, the it's been a situation that she never should have been put in. You know, I I did find them calling it a revenge dress a little odd because I mean, it was it was a lovely dress and uh, it made her look as gorgeous as always. But you know, there are other times that she's worn what you would maybe call sexy dresses before so i'm not sure why this one was so significant other than the fact that it just coincided with these other things that were going on so yeah they were just looking for a headline that's all yeah um yeah well by any thoughts about diana what i was going to say and this is difficult to talk about but there has always been what i remember of this time a very uh, ugly side of maybe human nature judging Camilla's appearance versus Diana's appearance. And so I wonder if because of how certain people would think of the two of them and their appearance that it would be almost a thought of, well, look, Diana can wear this type of dress and maybe Camilla couldn't. Once again, it's very difficult to talk about, but I know that will seem to be a big part of the ugliness in the public sphere, I would say at the time. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I would agree with that, Bubba. And I think that points back to that earlier episode in the previous season where Camilla was, uh, you know, complaining, well, not, I don't know if it was complaining, but basically telling Charles that uh, they couldn't go forward with some of the things that he was wanting to do because she knew that she was going to be painted as the villain in this fairy tale that Diana was the injured victim and there was no way that by comparison, she was going to ever be anything, but uh, you know, the evil witch who came in and destroyed the fairy tale princess situation. So I'll stand up for the Camillas out there and say that, you know, (laughs) ugly people deserve fancy dresses too. There. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait a minute. No, that's terrible. I realize what I just yeah, said. Ladies, edit, edit, ladies edit. and gentlemen, send your hate mail. Hate, hate <laughs> mail goes to at the word double the letters PHQ on Twitter. By the way, how do you feel about all of this stuff? Does anybody out there in our listening audience have sympathy for Camila and all of the stuff that her and her family are going through in terms of being hounded by the press and all of this stuff? Is anybody feeling more sympathy for her than they are for Diana? Or are you? Or am I crazy? Should should I should I have never have mentioned that? Let us know by tweeting to at LittleBitPod on Twitter. You can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S, audioblog at gmail.com. Be sure to comment on our YouTube videos. Be sure to hit those like buttons and hit that subscribe button and hit that bell, yo, as our friend John likes to say. Hit that bell, yo. Get those notifications when new videos are coming out while you're at the Double P Media YouTube. That's youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Matt, can I uh, add to that? I do feel a sense of sympathy for Camilla. I mean, it's, it's a complicated situation, obviously, all around. But it to me, it just goes back to the fact that they should, if they had allowed Charles and Camilla 
to marry in the first place. I mean, they considered her to be inappropriate for a set of reasons that, you know, seems pretty superficial. But if they had, you know, allowed that to happen and they hadn't pushed uh, Charles and Diana together, then, you know, none of all these other horrible issues that everyone dealt with for years would have ever been something that, uh, you know, were an issue. They could have had the tampon conversation in a private room face to face. They would never have to have that conversation on the phone to get recorded. Right. With with ex with, uh, you know, others, which would make it even children. weirder than it being on the phone, because, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it was a waterfall of problems. One problem leads to the next problem leads to the next problem. Yes. Oh, but that works very well on a TV show. It does work good on a TV show. Does anybody else have anything to add about the, the way ahead group about any efforts here for Charles to preserve the monarchy, all this stuff? We kind of discussed it already, but uh, if you have any additional thoughts, leave them here. Susan, anything? Just to say that he does have some admirable areas that he's been working for. I mean, that Princess Trust is a wonderful organization that has helped thousands of, of young people from disadvantaged backgrounds over the years. And I also think that the fact that he has such a huge emphasis on environmental issues is very commendable. So there are aspects of where he wants to put his time and energy that I have some real respect for. Matt, was it Don't Sweat the Technique? <laughs> was that the final song by yes, Eric B. and Rakim? Yeah, if, you know, if something's going to make us feel old, it's Prince Charles dancing or or trying to sway to don't sweat the technique by eric b and rakeem oh my god love that song still my favorite Um, a favorite uh i'll tell you what let's put this up to a parliamentary debate that will now be melodized and put in Folks, we do this like high school debate team. Somebody introduces a topic and then the other two, they have to argue. You know, the first person gets to argue whichever side they want. And the other person has to argue the other side. Uh, so, Bubba, uh, why don't you come up with a question? Because you're better at these things than I am. Susan gets to argue the first point or the way that she wants to. And I'll have to argue the opposite. So make sure that it's ridiculous where I have to argue something ridiculous. <laughs> Was the end of the episode too triumphant for charles that is an interesting question and i'd have to i'd prefer to go back and look at the tape before i fully answer that but uh based on just my uh memory maybe so maybe it was a bit because uh he certainly had some real pitfalls and problems that he had to deal with and it, it did show uh him as kind of the the uh hero at the end of the story i guess okay susan that's a great argument i i think you're completely wrong <laughs> and here's why of course you're playing the result you're, you're playing the result after seeing you know another episode past this you, you think you know charles you don't know charles 
This is the real Charles. This is the Charles you should know. If anything, this was underplayed. Somebody should have been putting a rose laurel around him. Somebody should have been, you know, like a horse, a horse champion or something that he truly is. Uh, I mean, who else makes great riveting phone conversation like that? Who else establishes a trust which helps young people? Who else can actually dance to that song? Uh, I mean, come on. Uh, I didn't see anybody else out there trying. And he did it, by golly. He got down there on the floor with them all. This was undersold. I think that Charles is an absolute champion. That's why I'm double seeing. I'm championing Charles. And I'm saying this is the result of what we should have known in our hearts all along. Well, can I counterpoint here then? No. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, let's go back to the, the very beginning of the season then and look at the fact that when Charles was winning the approval of the public over his mother in the, uh, you know, the, what they were calling it the uh, Victorian uh, Victoria uh, Victoria syndrome. syndrome, yeah, yeah, yeah. That in that case, a lot of people around him were recognizing that a great deal of what was the best asset for him was actually Diana and her popularity and how that reflected on him. And uh, and now at this point, he is cutting loose from all that, so he's going to have to uh, to suffer the. Uh, the political, you know, the political fallout for getting rid of his best uh, political asset. Exactly my point that you've made my point for me, because here he is at the beginning of the season. Uh, the only reason that he's popular at all is because of Diana. And now we see him out in the world doing good things for the world. This is undersold be just because of that. I mean, Queen Victoria syndrome or not, never mind the fact that he kind of almost kind of like, you know, was hoping that this poll would go the way that it wanted. Uh, I, and <laughs> obviously, he knows how great he is. And therefore, uh, he is, uh, once again, the king champion, yet undersold, underappreciated. I mean, I'm, he gets the, gets the crap jobs. He has to set up his own count fort uh, as the Prince of Wales, you know, uh, his own kind of Camelot uh, because he doesn't get a chance to govern because he's got a mother that just won't die. I mean, what kind of <laughs> what kind of a this is an undersold happy ending for Charles. I mean, I, I do give him credit for a few of these things, but when it comes down to it, too, you know, he's still very much a complainer, still someone who has, you know, life With on every reason platter. to complain. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll put it on the poll at Lilibet Pod <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, you vote. Uh, was the Charles ending too triumphant? Yes or no at Lilibet Pod on Twitter. Be sure to vote. We get hundreds and hundreds of votes, like 800 votes on our polls on the 100 Twitter scale, uh, if you know what I mean. So uh, we will look at some of those polls uh, right now, actually, uh, because we don't need history notes. Uh, it, you'll get them in just a second. But I want to look at these polls from last week uh, where Bubby Bubba clearly beat the crap out of me last week 
Um, however, y'all wrong. You all were wrong in predicting Bubba what Bubba would like or dislike about episodes four through six, uh, because we asked for a prediction poll from y'all, and quite frankly, I agreed with you. Will Bubba remain critical of the series after four through six, or will he see the light that I've been trying to project to him in the first three episodes, uh, but he completely ignored? And actually, 83.3% of you voted that he will remain critical. You were wrong. That doesn't mean you should vote on the next poll because you're probably going to be right. What's the best way to get the queen's attention? Either buy her uncle's old estate or buy Herod's. Herod's won 57.1%. That's a win for Bubba. Should Diana have worked with Andrew Morton on a book? Bubba once again wins decidedly. 62.5% said no, she should not have. Uh, I think that uh, there's no such thing as bad press. She should have done it. Uh, but that's the way that I think. Even though Philip tells Diana to work on the system to make her happy, was it really possible for her to do so given the circumstances? Well, actually, Bubba and I both agreed on this one. It's the only win that I get out of these polls. There is no possible way that she could be happy even within the system. We both said that, and this has never happened before, Bubba or Susan. This has never happened before. 100% of you out of you know 900 votes on the 100 Twitter, if you know what I mean. All 100% of you agreed that there is no way that she could have been happy. And who should pay for the yacht repairs, the monarchy, or the government? This has also never happened before. Over 1,000 votes on the 100 Twitter, if you know what I mean. Complete and exact tie. 50% monarchy should pay for it. Wow. 50% government should pay for it. Exact tie i don't know how that happens that statistically seems if you're a tory if you're a tory once again as an american i may be screwing up uh their government but is it would a tory say the monarchy should pay for it and or would all branches of government say the monarchy should pay for it the only ones who would say the government should pay for it would be the crown itself i mean aren't the tories the monarch monarchists monarchists I oh, think they are. I think sorry. they're okay, conservative, I'm more conservative party, right? Uh, so they would tend to go with the Constitution and say, well, yeah, isn't you're part of it. John Major? What party is John Major in? Then? He was a conservative. He was a conservative, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. But he also opposed uh, the uh, the boat, so that's weird. You're yeah, right, Bubba. Sure. It's, it's all it's all convoluted. Uh, it's, speaking of convoluted history, uh, here's your history notes. For season five, episode five, The Way Ahead. Here are your history notes for season five, episode five. The Way Ahead group did agree to more radical reforms. According to the Financial Times, the quote-unquote civil list was stashed so it only provided for the Queen, Prince Philip, and the Queen Mother. The Queen agreed to fund other royals working expenses herself. The royal family also chose to cover the costs of restoring the fire-damaged Windsor Castle themselves, rather than asking taxpayers to step in. Source, HistoryExtra.com Charles and Diana did separate on December 9, 1992. Prime Minister John Major had declared it is announced from Buckingham Palace that, with regret, the Prince and Princess of Wales have decided to separate. Source, Town and Country Magazine.
In regards to the double T, the tampon talk. In 1993, the British press published the full transcript of a private conversation between then Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles in which the two had an intimate and sexual exchange. Source, Time Magazine. The feature for Charles with Jonathan Dimbleby occurred on June 29, 1994. The revenge dress was worn on that same night that Charles's documentary aired on ITV in the UK. Source, Entertainment Weekly. The Prince's Trust was founded in 1976 by King Charles III, then Prince of Wales, to help vulnerable young people get their lives on track. Source, Wikipedia. Finally, a biography of Prince Charles by the broadcaster Jonathan Dimbleby was published, which Charles himself contributed to. It was published in 1994, Source, Newsweek Magazine. Season 5, Episode 6, Epatiev House. God, that name scares me every time. I'm sorry if I uh, mispronounced that. Here's another name that's going to scare the crap out of me. Written by Peter Morgan, directed by Christian Schauku. Or Schwachau. Schwachau. Schwa. See, I, when you're in a hole, quit digging, Matt. <laughs> uh, Schwachau. I think that's how you say it. Uh, but you know, uh, send your hate mail at LittleBitPod on Twitter or Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. M A T T S audio blog at gmail.com. Here's your 64 second recap of the episode. It's all about the past and the present as we travel back in time to where King George V passes a letter via David to Queen Mary regarding the Romanovs and their safe passage is denied. We witness the result as we see the assassination of the Tsar and his family as well as later on the desecration of their bodies. In the present, Elizabeth learns of Boris Yeltsin forging a new Russia as well as his drinking from the Prime Minister. But Philip has events to attend and Penny is going with him. Elizabeth welcomes Yeltsin to Buckingham Palace but inquires about his role during the burning of Ipatiev House. He promises progress but also badmouths the monarchy during a photo session. When the Romanov remains are exhumed, they must be identified as Elizabeth and Philip visit Russia, a first for the monarchy. She attends functions while Philip explores his familiar connections and contributes DNA to properly identify remains. He confronts Elizabeth about how they are different and addresses the subject of his companionship with Penny, souring things as he asks Elizabeth to befriend Penny, who has theories about why the Romanovs were denied safe passage. But Elizabeth explains the other side, connecting everything back to the anti-German sentiment in the UK during George's reign. She then confronts Penny about Philip, but resolves to nip it in the bud with a public appearance. Elizabeth questions her relationships, but some advice from the Prime Minister saying just allow her and Philip to be different seems to resolve the tension. We have another wheel. We have another wheel. So tiny. Uh, the history with Germany rears its ugly head. Now, Matt, there's a lot of ways we can take it. Um, it is thrilling to go back so far in time. I believe this went to, was it 19... What year did it actually go to? I apologize. 1917 was the year yeah. that the, uh, the Incredible. revolution happened, I believe. Really? And so the thing about uh, history with Germany is obviously that ties to Philip's family. <laughs> I, I don't want to miss this up again. So during World War I, obviously everybody was against uh, Germany in that point. And so, Matt, what do you want? Where do you want to take this topic? Well, uh, I think I'll start with Susan, actually. And uh, because you have 
a good perspective on the war itself and, and some of the political things that were going on. What can you tell us about this, uh, the Romanov family, uh, about what happened to the remains, any of that kind of history stuff that you want to share with us? Well, one interesting thing is when, thinking about Windsor again, World War One is when the family took the name Windsor. So that was, in fact, King George and Mary who adopted that name because their family name was so German and they wanted to distance themselves from that. And so, you know, that was, they, I guess, workshopped some ideas and someone, uh, one of their uh, equerries or someone like that came up with the idea of, of Windsor and, uh, and they went with it. So that was, uh, you know, one piece of it. To go to the very end of the episode for a moment in relation to all of this, I do think that Elizabeth was right in what she told Penny. In fact, that the reason that uh, Queen Mary made the decision that she did, as heartless as it definitely seems, is that her main concern was that she was seeing monarchs fall all over the place. And she was concerned about what you know, were were they going to make it out of uh, World War One? And so the Romanovs were both unpopular in their own country and in England. So you know, she did uh, make that decision. But what an, another interesting aspect to it is the fact that the Tsar's mother, Nicholas's mother, and a couple of his sisters were brought to England prior to this decision. So there were, they did offer refuge to a few members of that family, but I guess decided that it was in their mind too risky to offer it to the, the main royals there. And I wasn't able to research and find my source on this, but I do remember watching a documentary at some point in time about you know some of these ancestors that uh, later on did find out that that decision had been made and they were just, you know, horrified at the fact that uh, George and Mary had had refused to to bring them because the government was willing to do so. Susie knows more than you do. Yeah, uh, I love the fact that the letter is presented, how it passes through David of all hands <laughs> uh, to get to Mary. Oh, the other thing that I really loved about it, uh, and I don't know if this... Uh, hit you guys either but you think back to season one Queen, uh, Queen Mary uh, to, to Mary Elizabeth's grandmother and her mannerisms and the look on her face everything that that actress did it feels to me like this actress really studied that and and watched that and had very similar expressions um, shy of the point where she actually breaks down finding the news. Uh, but I loved that performance of a young Mary. I thought it was spot on compared to where the actress had taken uh, the older Mary in season one. Right. And did they both maybe study Queen Mary herself uh, in that yeah. in that essence? But, uh, you know, yeah, one other uh, might be a little silly throwaway detail, but one other thing I thought was uh, interesting that they actually uh, paid attention to this was that uh, 
King George as he was sitting there with the parrot on his shoulder. The thing that he was paying the most attention to was his stamps. He was talking about the stamps on the mail, the ink on the stamps, and, you know, look, this uh, stamp, uh, you know, he, he, that was his big hobby was stamp collecting. Right. Right. And uh, that had been brought up in, in situations where they were, were comparing him with his more flamboyant, outgoing brother who Mary was supposed to marry originally, and he died, and then she ended up marrying uh, George instead. So I thought that was fun that they actually, you know, emphasized and included that little detail in there. Yeah. I think that you should realize that there are no such things as throwaway details around here. My life is nothing but throwaway details. Every podcast I do is throwaway details. Uh, throwaway details are welcome. Bubba, did you have any thoughts about George Mary, not necessarily the Romanoff assassination, unless you want to go there, but just the kind of process that Mary went through uh, to to make this decision uh, and how this just is a repetitive theme uh, throughout uh, the entire series of The Crown. It was really important to this family, and it seems like it shaped a lot of decisions of this family at a critical time. What I think sometimes when I see scenes like this is as great as that first season was, could it have used some flashbacks like this to really set the context of where they were post-World War II? And so that was my main thought about it, of these flashbacks are powerful. And I know uh, one of the topics on the wheel we're gonna, that uh, we'll try to cover is that very difficult to watch scene. But this type of context really does put so many actions and decisions and people's thought processes uh it explains them so much and so that was my only thought Bubba knows more than you do i'd like to add one more detail about mary uh and i think uh again this relates to another youtube documentary i watched uh at some point in time that uh, was titled something like how Queen Mary saved the British monarchy or something like that. And the emphasis of this video was the fact that a lot of what we have seen, especially like in the crown about how Elizabeth behaves as the monarch and, you know, going out to all of these uh, public events and her role as, as this impartial, but, you know, public figure who goes out uh, constantly to factories and, you know, different uh, ceremonies and so forth. That was really something that Mary was the first one to really push and emphasize and get the royalty to go out and do that type of thing. So a lot of what we see about how they behave and act now was kind of shaped by her. And so the next topic on the wheel is, of course, the double P and Elizabeth, the double P in this case stands for Penny and Philip. And so mm -hmm. the two topics we want to discuss, the subtopics, I guess I would say, under that kind of big umbrella is, does Queen Elizabeth wear the headscarf that is, you know, kind of so famous as one of her, uh, her the choices, is that when she intends to be friendly, is she wearing it when she intends to be friendly or does she wear it when she's going to be intimate? Because it is a, you know, not a royal. Intimidate. Uh, intimidate. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Matt, you're back. Why don't you, uh, why don't you jump in and take us through this topic that the wheel came up on? Yeah, uh, I, I thought that uh, the relationships between both Philip and Penny and between 
Philip and Elizabeth, actually three, and between Elizabeth and Penny were really interesting in this episode. M- more so interesting to me than the whole Romanoff thing, which is something that, you know, just a little dive into history and, and you kind of get uh, some of those things. So that wasn't really that exciting to me. But this part of the relationship or this part of the episode was because I think that uh, Elizabeth was initially thinking that she was and and she even carries this out she's very cold to penny throughout the entire conversation about her grandmother uh throughout all of that she's very very cold to her and then she feels you know just kind of hurt uh or, or she she looks upset when it's all over uh and i was just wondering she decided to take the scarf off intentionally and I was just wondering what you guys thought that that meant. Was she saying that, okay, if I have the scarf on, then I'm more friendly, like I am with Porchy, which, which is the only other example that I can really cite? Or am I, uh, or am, did she decide to take it off saying, no, I'm going to be the queen. You're going to face the queen, not be with Lilibet. Is that the way you guys interpreted it? I did not interpret it that way, Matt. Um and what's interesting is just to just to follow up on your point is I actually found the Romanoff stuff more interesting. So you're like, ah, the Romanoff stuff, you didn't engage with that as much. I did. That was the fascinating part of the episode for me. This scene between the queen and Penny, uh, to me, it was someone who we were talking about the system so much this season. It was Elizabeth trying to once again get the system to work the way she wanted it to. And so whether she was trying to be intimidating or not, it was like, I'm going to make this work the way I want it to. And that means Penny, dare I say it, know your place. In the conversation that Philip and Elizabeth had that initiated some of this when they were discussing that they were growing apart and he was getting, you know, his intellectual stimulation out of the activities of uh, this group of people that they were you know, doing the, the carriage riding and, and so forth, and that Penny included that. I guess I didn't feel that Elizabeth, the way that she reacted came across as this very jealous behavior that I didn't think that the situation necessarily warranted from my perspective because I didn't think there was anything really inappropriate about what was going on. I mean, it was problematic from the viewpoint that maybe Philip and Elizabeth were growing apart and they needed to to deal with the aspects of, of their relationship. But I didn't think that the time that Philip was spending with Penny and these other people, it didn't seem, you know, that there was something wrong with that. And it felt like right. Elizabeth was trying to infer that it was i mean she was like you know whoa you know why didn't you just get together with a secretary one of the servants or something like that and it's like you know that that's that's not the point of what's going on here you know this woman wasn't you know there was nothing romantic going on and it seemed totally appropriate from my perspective that they uh were you know they had gotten together initially over the grief that she was dealing with at the loss of her child and uh, that, you know, Phil kind of helped her with that. And then as he got her into the carriage riding, then that became something that they were sharing and the friendship developed out of that. 
Yeah. I, they really framed the episode, you know, with him uh, saying, oh, I've got to go jet set off. Oh, and by the way, you know, we don't, I don't guess he mentions it, but it's just kind of like, he just gives her a little pit kiss on the forehead, which is all he's done all season, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, it was almost like she felt a little hurt by the fact that he was, you know, she was going to get to do something. I don't remember what the event was or or something. And then the way that he kind of belittles her knowledge about DNA uh or you know don't you ever ask any questions where's your curiosity and everything and you can see how oh, man that with with penny uh excites him that she does ask questions that she does develop theories and everything but what i gathered from elizabeth and like you said i thought that she treated her a little bit too mean with a little, oh it's so nice that you read all of those you know it just it felt very very uh you know kind of just a little mean and yeah, it's it's not it's not Penny that she needs to take the headscarf off for. It is Philip. Yeah. This whole it's not me, it's you that he seems to be dropping. I'm saying, you know, monarchs shouldn't have so much power, but at a certain point, it's off with your head, dude. <laughs> the hell with you. <laughs> You're saying I don't read. Well, one thing I will be reading your obituary. Oh, step. Oh, you go. <laughs> It does, it does relate back to earlier seasons where, you know, there was, you know, additional issues with Philip having a very separate life from hers and they're not seeming to find common ground in a lot of ways. It seemed to me that this was a callback to a lot of that. Yeah. Every time this issue comes up, I always feel like uh, Elizabeth is remembering the ballerina, no matter how many times Philip told her, no, it didn't Ah. happen. You know, I just feel like that she's always remembering that that stuff at the end of season two, uh, despite his assurances. And I honestly believed Philip, as far as a character, that nothing really did happen. Uh, of course, our uh, Holly uh, said no way it happened, and and she's probably right. But uh, I always, I every time something like this comes up for Elizabeth, since then, I always think, oh, she's thinking about that ballerina again is the thing that comes up to me now she cried is it odd never... that no, is it odd that nobody's seen that ballerina since elizabeth rarely cry gets emotional about anything we've learned this about her right she she's very unemotional you know i we've only seen her seen her cry maybe a couple of times uh, because she's just not built that way, evidently. And uh, that scene just really got me when it was over. And I don't know if that was from the relief of it all being over or if she believed now believed Philip that there was nothing going on or if she believed that there actually was something going on. I didn't know how to interpret that. Can you guys help me? Again, think about that message. That message that Philip is dropping is, you know, I'm bored. I got to go, you know, I got to keep living. And if you're not part of it, that's fine. And I'm bored, maybe hanging out with you. I mean, that is, that is passive aggressive insulting and hashtag not cool. So whatever she wants to do, I'm down with it. I, I do think that the the problem resided between those two, but you know, another thing that it made me think about was uh and and back to the first episode when 
Margaret, or the first of the episodes we're talking about here, when Margaret was being interviewed by the BBC and she talked about the fact that she was learning piano while her sister was learning constitutional law or whatever it was, reminded me of the fact that we had that earlier in an earlier season episode where Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, was uh, all of a sudden hit with the fact that she really didn't have very good, well-rounded education. Uh, and she had to bring in a tutor to help her with some things, um, which, uh, which again, to me, it, it seems so odd. And it, it, uh, it seems like they were pointing out the idea, you know, before it was even thought that she was going to become the queen, her mother's attitude about this whole thing was, you know, women of our class, they just need to be taught how to run the household and speak French and, you know, be social hostesses and they don't need much more than that and i find that to be so strange when you're talking about someone who is then going to go on to become the monarch you know especially in light of when you look back at earlier history when people like queen elizabeth and henry the eighth were you know known for their intellect and the fact that they you know were scholarly people and wrote papers and did all these other things that you know the queen would just not have much of an education. And I know this is, that's a big digression from this, but it just, it really strikes me as odd. Drink them if you got them. It's bottoms up, Boris. It's that double the B. Subject uh, matter. Who, who picked this topic? Um, I did. I want to talk about Boris. Okay. I love him standing on a tank. I love this actor's portrayal of him. I did uh, not love him bad mouthing the queen right to her in but not being able to do it right her. you're not supposed to this is a choice the filmmakers made to make you dislike him in that moment and it succeeded nobody should like him at that moment yeah, yeah. but i loved him otherwise i mean let, let's do some double d's some diplomatic drinking all the time we can solve the world world's problems that way uh eh, that's probably a little bit sensitive a subject for some people so i'll strike that <laughs> Uh, but I, I just, I love the, 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 the whole way that we got to know Boris Yeltsin, mostly through the prime minister's stories, which by the way, the, uh, what's Johnny Lee, is that his name? Uh, the, yeah. Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny yeah. Lee Miller. Yeah. Johnny Lee Miller. I dropped off a word. Uh, at any rate, he, he was fabulous in this episode as well. I love the way he tells stories about Boris Yeltsin. I I've loved him in all of these episodes. Uh, I'm really gonna, you know, just savor, uh, and think differently about John major. I didn't think about John major at all. <laughs> you know, I've never thought about John major in my entire life. And yet now, uh, I'm finding myself actually liking the guy just because I like this character. So I'd have to do some research to find out whether I'd really like the guy or not. But uh, nonetheless, I love him. I love Boris Yeltsin. Any thoughts on Boris Yeltsin? Uh, can Can you imagine what a difficult position that is to be in? You're an Anglophile. You were also responsible for the burning down of Ipatiev's house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a tough position to be in, especially when the queen brings it up to you. There we go, Susan. Should the queen have brought it up? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, definitely she should have brought it up. I think it, it was something that needed to be dealt with, and uh, she was in the position to get something done about it. So I thought it was totally appropriate for her to do that. And frankly, I think that Boris Yeltsin's uh, idea be, uh, is that, uh, you know, a lot of the Russians are secretly 
like you said, Monarch is set heart. That's the main system that a lot of them grew up through. So she should definitely say it. You come into my house, I'm staying at it. And you're talking about that betrayal and how you loved Boris Yeltsin. For me, just to be completely honest, we're recording this in the beginning of 2023. And because of certain actions that are happening in the world, I couldn't I couldn't love the character or have any uh, thoughts about this other than this is this isn't important to what this relationship, which seems to be uh, what John Major is trying to uh, massage. This relationship goes nowhere. And so I don't normally bring in uh, reality, I guess I should say, to this show. I do try to separate it out. But in this specific case, I couldn't. Well, I mean, as far as Yeltsin goes, uh, I think that one of the assessments that Major makes in the show is true to true life as well for Boris Yeltsin. And that is that uh, there was a real perception that he didn't really have control of what was going on over there. Uh, And you can look to what that has Mm -hmm. led to with the current regime that is over there right now, um, where people who do know how to control things end up getting in there and doing what they do, uh, which is absolutely uh, horrific for many people across that that continent right now. Um, So and, and we're all horrified by it just because, you know, we just don't understand why (laughs) why why do you want to do that to 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 people why do you want what anyway i'm gonna get off on a tangent if i don't stop so uh any final thoughts about boris elson before we spin the wheel again just to add on to what you all are saying that i think that for so many people when the soviet union was breaking down and he was the first you know president to come in you know there was this period of hope that things were going to change in a positive way and unfortunately that hasn't hasn't borne out and uh, you know it's it is a sad situation for that country which has never really known any kind of uh, real freedoms for the majority of its people speaking of other people who never knew their freedom the romanovs <laughs> Uh, this, uh, evidently this is historically true. They were, uh, woken Um, in the middle of the night, told that they were getting, you know, safe passage. They were asked to pose, they were put together to pose for a photograph, uh, as the way to, to get them all in the same place to execute them. How awful is all of this stuff? Uh, I mean, uh, regardless of who it is or what it is, they're human beings, I had a really hard time watching this stuff. I actually uh, just kind of didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. It's not that it wasn't riveting. It's just that it was a little bit too uncomfortable for me. Uh, But that, you know, I've got, I'm not the kind of person who can sit through an episode of The Last of Us without walking away. I can't sit through an episode of The Walking Dead without, you know, turning the sound down. All those things that will startle me or make me sick or whatever, I just tend to avoid. So, uh, I I mean, horrific and horrific for that family, horrific for uh, their relatives who essentially, as we learned, you know, uh, Mary was just as struck by it as, as, and she was the one who made the decision. So it's really in the story. And so it's really difficult uh, for me to swallow the way those little girls were treated especially with the bayonets. That was the the thing that got me. 
what thoughts do you have about the Romanovs, about the exhuming of the bodies? If you want to throw in the DNA, any of that stuff is open game for this last topic. Uh, let's start with you, Bubba. Well, one thing that happens just a behind the scenes of the podcast is we're doing this podcast now months after the season was released. I didn't watch it when it was first released. I was waiting for us to do this podcast. Silly boy. And so, And so one thing I like doing is after I watch an episode, I like to go back and see what the general perception was in so many articles about this specific episode, talk about how graphic it was and how the show is brutal in a way that it really never had been before. However, I, you know, this is, this is a, a statement about what it did to the show. I thought it was powerful. I thought it was dramatic. I almost think the show needed something like this earlier. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that these type of flashbacks might've been good to really set the context of season one and the thinking back then was in the minds of some characters, but I thought it, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was riveting. And that's why in some ways the squabbling between Philip and the queen and uh, Peggy, to me, it's like the dramatic stakes just aren't the same. And so I was drawn to this part of the episode. I was drawn to this part of the history. And I thought it was fascinating and powerful. And I didn't look away. And it did shake me. It is, once again, horrific. But I think the show, when you're dealing with this type of topic, it needed to be. So I, I as odd as it is to say, I'm very glad the show did it. Susan, you've got the last word on this. I don't know that I have anything else to add. I uh, agree with uh, what Bubba says. I think it was uh, an important and powerful episode, and uh, and I'm glad that they that they went went through it and handled it. Excellent. Well, uh, not to lighten this episode up any, but let's do a parliamentary debate. Bum, 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 bum. Here is the debate topic number one. We will have Bubba and Susan argue these. I will ask the question, scotch or vodka? That is the question, scotch or vodka? If you're going to be Boris Yeltsin and be drunk all of the time, scotch or vodka? What are you choosing? What are you standing on the table with and partying with your friends with? Uh, Bubba, do you want to go first or do you want Susan to go first? Well, if you're asking if I'm Boris Yeltsin in this episode, scotch or vodka, I'm pretty sure the answer is both. <laughs> I mean, this guy, this guy is just a couple. Uh, he's really just a decade late to appear in Caddyshack. He's so drunk. And so uh, uh, personally, I prefer uh, mixed drinks and vodka. But for Boris Yeltsin in this episode, let me say the wall came down and uh, many uh, bottles came down off the shelf as well. Okay, so that's a vote for Ooh. vodka, I guess. That's a double V. Sure, I'll get vodka. Susan, Susan Scotch, <laughs> your double S. Oh, well, I thought maybe that the opposite of both would be a teetotaler. <laughs> okay. So maybe that would that would have been the appropriate thing for uh, for Boris to go then, because uh, obviously so many of the problems that uh, that. Uh, he is famous for are uh, tied back to the fact that he was drunk all the time. So if he would have uh, just, uh, you know, done something about that and not uh, allowed himself to uh, 
imbibe like that, then uh, who knows? The whole history of Russia might be different right now. I know I'm not supposed to agree with Susan, but she's right. <laughs> Boris Yeltsin is giving being drunk a bad name. <laughs> uh, okay, so we'll put it on the poll. Boris Yeltsin, a walking liver disease, yes or no? Aww. And uh, we'll also put up the question, scotch or vodka? I'll let you guys choose since Bubba and Susan can't uh, both. or something I, I did choose different. vodka for me, but once again, you framed it for this character, so. Oh, okay. And vodka for you. Uh, but anyway, we'll put it on a poll at Little Bit Pod on Twitter. Be sure to vote on the polls. Well, one last question, and this might be a little bit too serious for actually a parliamentary debate. Um, what do you guys think? Was Philip right to ask Elizabeth what he asked her to do about Penny to befriend her? I know we gave Philip a lot of trouble for for being this guy that is uh, it's not me, it's you. But I mean, if the relationship truly is innocent, doesn't it seem like a practical solution? What do you think, Susan? Well, I think that if Philip could have handled it in a better manner, you know, he was complaining about Elizabeth and he growing apart. And if he wanted to include a friendship with Penny as something that would benefit all of them, and if he framed it in a way where it wasn't uh, you know, you need to get to be her friend because it's important to me, but rather, you know, I think this would be something you would really enjoy. And, you know, these are really close relatives of theirs. So, I mean, I think it would have been okay, but I think he went about it the wrong way is what I'm trying to say. So the deliverables were fine, but the delivery was terrible. Is what Yes. You're... Right. Okay. Bubba, what do you think? Anytime this show wants you to choose between Philip and Queen Elizabeth, I think we know which side the show wants you to decide on. I'm with the queen. Off with his head. Off with her head. I'm completely. Throw him in the tower. Throw him in the tower. He's just being honest and expressing himself, Bubba. He's he's being honest and he's expressing himself. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Today... Uh, you know, he, he just stood up for her. So she obviously knows where she where she stands with him. She knows that he adores her, that he will go to bat for her, that he loves her. And he's asking one little thing. Can we please keep the press no, from no. thinking something that is not happening? No, uh, you know, hap- is happening so that I can actually be friends with this person and enjoy my pursuits. I let you play with your dogs. No, let no, me no. Play with my dogs. Prince Philip, you're like Prince Philip has proven he stands up for her. Yeah. In previous episodes. But what about this episode? In this episode, he's standing up for himself for once. For no, once. no. Hello. Queen Prince. Queen Prince. We'll put queen, it on the poll. Is the prince, queen always uh, higher than the prince? Is the yes. queen always higher oh. than the prince? Did yes. Philip do the bad thing? Yes or no? At Lilibitpod on Twitter. Here's your I don't, listen, Prince Philip. He, I mean, we talk about princes, but there's like the king and queen. Prince Philip is down here, like below rooks. No, not even on the board. Not even on the board. That's exactly right. There's no uh, prince on the board. From what I history from notes the for season five. Oh, come on. Here's your history notes for season five, episode six. Oh, 
Here are your history notes for Season 5, Episode 6, Epatiev House. On July 17, 1918, the Romanovs were woken early in the morning thinking they had gotten safe passage and, under the guise of taking photographs to prove their safety, were executed. Source, Insider.com. There was a Soviet hardliner coup attempt in August of 1991. Source, BBC.com News. UK Prime Minister John Major did visit Boris Yeltsin in January of 1992. Source, the John Major Archive. The remains of Nicholas, Alexandra, and three of their daughters, Anastasia, Olga, and Titania, were found in 1979, though the bodies were only exhumed in 1991 after the collapse of the Soviet Union, according to the AFP. As Tom Parfit of the Times reports, DNA testing carried out at the time confirmed that the remains were authentic. Source, smithsonianmag.com Speaking of which, Prince Philip did contribute a blood sample and his DNA was compared to that of the remains and other family members. This allowed researchers to confirm virtually beyond a doubt that the bodies were indeed those of the murdered Romanovs. Source, Washington Post. On October 17, 1994, Queen Elizabeth II became the first ruling British monarch to set foot on Russian soil. Source, Newsweek Magazine. And finally, the wedding anniversary for Elizabeth and Philip would have been on November 20th, 1994. Source, doing math. So, folks, we've come to the end of yet another episode of Podcast a Little Bit, where we have discussed Season 5, Episodes 4 through 6. Bubba, do you have any final thoughts? These three episodes really got me on board with Season 5. I can't wait to finish it and catch up to where everybody else was back in November. <laughs> Susan, final thoughts? Um, well, I enjoyed these episodes, um particularly the ones that did relate back to older times so but uh, they were all pretty good not my favorite season overall but i like it you want to go back for episode seven through nine sure if you'll have me susan have you finished season five and if so tease me what can i expect over these final four episodes uh more drama double d (laughs) more drama i i can see it coming Deadly drama. What's the double D? Uh, should I say it, or should I let him figure? Not out if it's a spoiler. Is. Not if it's a spoiler. I don't know how far it goes. If it's divorce, you know, divorce drama. Okay. Okay. Anyway, we'll see you next time on podcast a little bit. Bye.
I want people to listen to these things. Call me crazy. Go stupid. If I'm going to spend two hours of my life recording it, I want somebody to actually I want to fight the establishment. No, you don't. That's what's so funny is you know. Boy, you and Catfish, I need, do you want me to pull up the stats on you and Catfish's? What was that show? That was a... Well, that was a terrible show. That's not fair. 